Welcome to the 10th episode of our Think Differently and Deeply podcast series. My name is Glenn Whitman, and I direct the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School. This series features authors from the current edition of the CTTL's internationally recognized publication, Think Differently and Deeply, which has been distributed to over 10,000 teachers, school leaders, and policymakers worldwide. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Joy Reeves, class of 2018, and a former CTTL Finn Family Student Research Fellow back to St. Andrews. She just wrapped up her first semester at Duke University. She contributed not just an article, but also a cartoon to Volume 3 of Think Differently and Deeply, both on the teenage brain. Joy's artwork has also graced the cover of the first two editions of the CTTL Science of Teaching and School Leadership Academy workbook. Joy, welcome back to school, and how you been? I've been great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Fantastic. Well, you know, uh, I know this is probably not your first stop um, back into the Potomac, uh, Washington, D.C. area since coming. uh, I'm assuming you went to home first. Oh, yeah. Um, But uh, I need to know, what is the most obvious difference between being a first semester college student where only three months earlier uh, you were still in high school? Oh, my goodness. Um, I would say the scale of college was what struck me the most. Um, St. Andrews certainly prepared me for college, but just stepping on campus and especially having East and West campus and busing <laughs> between them just reminded me that college was felt much bigger to me. And there are so many opportunities for me to take up just like there were in high school and also more people to meet. So that scale definitely surprised me. Fantastic, fantastic. And, and I just, for the audience, I did not pay joy to, to say that St. Andrews prepared her well for Duke, <laughs> but uh, I know we'll all be happy she said that. Uh, you know, so much about the article you wrote for Think Differently Deeply is, a, is about your journey as an artist. So I'm curious, have you been able to maintain your, your, your passion, your interest uh, in the arts as in your first semester at school? I have. I haven't taken art classes yet, although I do plan on minoring in visual media studies. So in the meantime, I explored options in the Chronicle, which is Duke's student newspaper, and I started making graphics for them. Um, to put out in their online and print versions of the paper. Fantastic. So the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning launched in the spring of 2011, and you, while you were at St. Andrews, had some different touch points with the center. First of all, you expressed and applied for and were accepted to be a, a research fellow for the center. So I'm curious if you can reflect on that. You know, What do you recall of being interested to you to do that and, and, and from that experience working very closely with Dr. Keller, the head of research, And sometimes even you and I got to hang out. I know. I was certainly excited by the word research. I had never conducted research before, even in surveys or within my school. So that was one of the reasons why I was excited about the CTTL. Um, I also liked the cooperation between members of the CTTL team. I liked how the research fellows got to work with faculty and work with other schools even to collaborate on better teaching and learning. So that's what drew me to the CTTL. It was great to have you uh, part of that team. Uh, you know, I, you were part of the group that initially started looking at the issues around the, the daily schedule and the homework. And, uh, you know, you didn't get the benefit from it, but we have a whole new daily <laughs> schedule that, you, you know, you could probably say you helped to get us to. So thank you very much. You know, the focus of this podcast is the article you wrote for Think Differently and Deeply, which really was about your thinking about the the student brain. So I'm I'm curious a couple things. What was your process when we approached you? I think it was either Dr. Keller or myself and said, "Look, we need you to create a brain that's visually engaging, 
but reflects what a student's brain might look like if we opened it up. I'm curious to know from an artistic perspective, what was your process uh, initially when we invited you to take on this opportunity? Yeah, so I was initially very excited because (laughs) when you tell people that you do cartooning, some people don't understand how it can be used educationally and as a very legitimate communication tool for just about anything. So I was like, oh, yeah, of course I'll do it, like playing it off. But on the inside, I was pretty gleeful that I could actually take (laughs) comics, which I do anyway, and try to make one for the CTTL. I had a bit of writer's block at first in my artistic process, trying to decide whether to take a more serious route and make something representational or whether to turn it into something humorous. So I ended up doing a little bit of both as I was sketching out the brain. And I'm pretty sure a lot of it came from conversations over the dinner table, like with my family or conversations with some of my friends, like, hey, what should I put in a brain that represents, you know, what students are thinking all the time? So my inspiration was internal and external for this comic. Fantastic. But let, let's go more. I mean, like, I, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but we, we often have a slide when we present uh, with public and private and charter schools around the world. And we often have the parts of the student brain image up there. And Dr. Kelleher always talks about the hippocampus. Um, and he loves that part. But I'm curious of what are your favorite parts that you conveyed through your artistic expression of the student's brain? Oh, boy. I think I will always be a fan of the deep teenage wisdom zone. I've seen it emerge in college as well as high school. So that's certainly one of my favorite parts. Um, I also like emergency pop quiz storage because I think it's something that just about all of us can relate to. Um, And the amygdala, uh, controlling basic emotions. I said this in my article, but again, a lot of this process was teaching me about parts of the brain that I didn't actually know existed, even as a CTTL research fellow. Some of the upper regions, for instance, like the anterior cingulate, I was like, oh, I didn't know that existed in the first place. Now I do. So Right, right. I'm just curious how you approached uh, family dinner conversations, gave you some content and thinking uh, with your peers. Did you interview them? Did you do any independent research around what a prefrontal cortex was? Or I'm just curious to know what other elements went into your, your process? So for the first cartoon I did, Parts of the Student Brain, a lot of it started with initial internet research and book research, looking up diagrams and trying to make mine accurate of the brain. Um, But a lot of it also came from talking to my friends. They had a lot of input in this, like, oh, yeah, you should definitely include that, or, oh, maybe don't include that one. So I took their input as I was designing this. You certainly know this. The Science of Teaching and School Leadership Academy that we launched in the summer of 2017 your parts of the student brain was on the cover. And I'm curious to know, what's your reaction to that? You've seen it. You know, 150 educators that year from around the world were looking at your artwork as the first touch point on their workbook for the week. It feels amazing to know that that many people saw it. (laughs) And I would hope that it gets everyone in the mindset of, you know, the conference and understanding the student brain in some way. Um, Yeah, I was pretty flustered when I heard how many people attended and were able to see it. So I'm really happy to have been a part of that. Right, right. I think, though, the future that we will, this will be on T-shirts and and whatnot (laughs) like that. So, you know, you were so good that first year we asked you to uh, create a a cartoon about the parts of students. We actually came back to you, right, Uh, with probably less notice. And I think Dr. Keller and his great British accent said, can you do the parts of the educator's brain? So I'm curious to know... How you felt about you know that's not you that's not the brain you live in every day. This is the this is the people who you've been instructed by over the years. 
differences in that experience, more challenging, easier uh, process differences? I'm just curious to know how you went about trying to capture what's in our brains, the, the adult brain at St. Andrews every day. It was certainly more challenging um, because it was something that I couldn't really base on any personal experience, right. nor could I talk to my friends about it. Yeah. Um, I'll just say if you want to be a teacher, we would hire you. I'll just go on record. <laughs> I'm glad to hear yeah, okay, that. You <laughs> um, I did learn a lot about teaching, though, because I decided to interview teachers with the help of the CTTL um, to help me better understand what they think should be included. Because part of this comic was me not wanting to offend teachers by falsely portraying things that are not on their mind. So to keep it accurate, I got some of my senior year teachers together in this conference room, and we discussed what they think about the most. And we had a lot of abstract sections come up, like intersections of art and science, teacher friend tightrope, good cop, bad cop. And (laughs) we were laughing the entire time. And it ended up in what I think is a great representation of their minds. No, not, you know, I, I particularly like the coffee reservoir <laughs> that you have, uh, right, um, um, as, as well. Uh, and it was probably neat to sit around with your teachers to, to consider uh, what goes on. Did anything surprise you that they either talked about or that you ended up putting um, in the cartoon of the parts of the educator brain? Well, I don't know if I should reveal this, but I was surprised how much fear is involved in the sense that teachers really want to make an impact on their students and they want the classroom to be a positive experience. So a lot of what they revealed was that there's this dark side to teaching where you're afraid that you're not going to be received well in the classroom, fear of being boring or the fear that no one's paying attention. And I think that just spoke to how much they care about us in the classroom. And I was struck by that. But, of course, we turned it into something more comical and lighthearted. Right. So so the audience obviously can't see it. So can you explain what the, the dark side looks like uh, on parts of the educator brain? Yes. <laughs> the dark side is illustrated with a small Darth Vader helmet for effect. And what stems from it is no one's paying attention, fear of being boring, and cathartic complaining about students, which we definitely laughed about. And it's just a section that exists in the back of all teachers' minds. But alongside sections like intellectual wormhole, hippocampus, yet again, the land of unanswered questions and other tangents in teaching. Right. No, I love, uh, I always laugh at the subject soapbox where I think all of us want to believe that our subject, so I teach history, I did not have the privilege to teach you, unfortunately, uh, is the most important subject, right? I mean, if they only taught one subject in school, you know, it, would, it should be history, right? Or it should be, as Mr. Simon would say English, Mr. Sinclair would say science, right? Yes. So, you know, we would have that Miss Kaufman would say mathematics. So uh, I agree, we're all very territorial. And once again, I think you know this. Uh, so we just made our lives easier and put your second cartoon on the second edition of the Science of Teaching and School Leadership Academy workbook. One of the research strategies we talk about a lot that's gaining much more traction with educators from the youngest to the oldest is, is a strategy called dual coding, where if you're taking notes in class, taking them in a narrative form, but supporting them with an image, maybe even a cartoon. And I'm curious to know, has that been part of your journey is taking notes? I'm sure they make you take notes at Duke. Um, we certainly made you take notes at St. Andrews. Do you find yourself ever jumping between you know, narrative note-taking and image note-taking, or do you, when you're in the classroom, is it more one than the other or or just one? Yeah, I do find that I'm using images a lot to help me remember things. I know that we've debunked the sole visual learner stereotype. Yes, you're breaking the learning (laughs) style myth. I love it. You learned. Um, 
But while we did debunk that a little bit, I do think that there's a lot to be said for images and in memory. So it's something that I try to incorporate into all of my notes. Even in chemistry, I'll make acronyms for words and draw out little pictures next to each one. And that way, when you're staring at a blank exam, trying to think of the answer, the image pops into your mind, and with it, all the words that you need. Yeah. You were uh, a highly successful student. You took a rigorous course load here. I think there's a video somewhere you said you took five APs, uh, and your, your quote, which I laugh at every time I hear it, was supposedly that's a challenging course load. Um, <laughs> but you must have known yourself as a learner really well. So, so can you speak to that? I mean... You know, how did you best learn while you were at St. Andrews is my first question. My follow-up is going to be, how did you figure that out? So question one, how did you best learn while you were taking this rigorous course load at the school? Well, I came into high school definitely knowing less about myself as a learner than when I left. But I would say a lot of it came from learning itself and having no idea what type of learner I was freshman year. And I figured it out over the years because... You had to devise study strategies that worked for you. I realized I work best when I'm in an isolated, quiet environment, and I can focus on words and images put together. What about what strategies evolved to be your go-to strategy? So you talked about quiet space and isolated space is pretty important. You know, Some students try to convince me they can study well with rock music blasting in your ear. I always challenge them to that. But are there any strategies that were sort of your go-to for memory or certainly for creativity? I'm, I'm assuming you always leaned on your cartooning or your, 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 your awesome drawing abilities. But can you talk to me about strategies and maybe some that are still with you in your first semester, Duke? Yeah. In terms of strategies, I think self-testing is very important. And I've learned to use that more and more, um, especially in college, because it trained me to actually problem solve and not just grasp big picture concepts. Although I do think big picture concepts is also important when you're learning a subject. I like to make flashcards and write out something very broad on the front of the flashcard and then include details and examples on the back so that I can look at the front and learn to associate it with how I can actually apply it to very specific ideas. So I would say self-testing, understanding big pictures, and then in terms of studying in groups, I like to first start on my own and then go find a group to study with so we can cross-reference each, each other's work and right. use that as a studying strategy. Right. Can you talk to me a little bit about what self-testing looks like for you, just so the audience understands how you're thinking about it in terms of a study strategy? Yeah, of course. I like to find practice problems in any way I can, even if it's just looking on the internet on Khan Academy <laughs> or looking at what a teacher might provide. And... No matter how pressed you are for time, I would highly recommend going through the practice problems and hiding the answers from yourself until you've tried everything possible to solve the problem. And then go back and look at the answer and realize that it's okay to make mistakes along the way. And then I use the answer key to kind of teach myself how to do the problem until I realize I don't need it anymore after doing several. That's that, that's that's a fantastic, fantastic example. We, uh, It's probably one of our go-to strategies. And even you mentioned... Uh, using flashcards and, and, and using them even better uh, is critical. Do you find strategies that you relied on in high school have carried over into the university world or because of the nature of university, you've either added a new strategy or you threw one away just because it didn't fit anymore? That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe too early. Maybe your research design is you only have four months, but, you know, 
Does what worked as a senior in high school go with you to college, or are there adjustments in your strategies as you approach your academic responsibilities at, at school right now? Mm-hmm. I know we talked a lot about active reading in high school in the yeah. CTTL. I think that's also crucial in college. I've realized that the whole uh, conundrum of do you read the paper just to show your teacher that you read it, right. show them the highlighting marks all over right, it, yeah. that falls apart in college because you need to active read so that you can participate in class, especially in smaller discussion sections. And you realize that everybody who's in the class wants to be participating and you want to stay up to date with everything your peers are talking about and your teacher. So if you take the strategies that we practice in high school of actively reading, whether or not that involves highlighting the paper. Right. Um, Let's just not just highlight the paper though, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then um, I think you can be more intrinsically motivated to set aside time to read and take it in, especially when that's your only homework assignment for the class for the night and the schedule's more spaced out. You can actually set more time aside for that. I would also say that in larger lecture classes like chemistry, it comes back to the self-testing, um, studying in groups to cross-reference, and writing notes out by hand is also very important for me personally in quantitative classes. So so how big is your – you're in a chemistry class this year at, at Duke? I just finished yeah, it. So yes. how big was that class? About 150 people. Right. What Which dwarfs you know, less than 20 any class you probably were at St. Andrews. So, so what's that like? I mean, how do you – that's got to be so different. It was very different at first, but – the teacher was great about making us all feel like we were, you know, included in the lecture. And, of course, some people stopped going to lecture and got lazy halfway through the semester. But right. I think it was important to go. And, again, it was a scale change for the school, but you get used to it. And I've learned to appreciate the mix of 12 people in a class and 150 people in a class right. throughout my schedule. Right. So, you know, looking back, you know, you you left St. Andrews with – more touch points with the CTTL than most students, right? You were a, you were a fellow, you were an our artist in residence, pretty much. What does being at a school and not only that, being directly involved with the CTTL, uh, what do you think that meant for your thinking about teaching, learning, and education, both while you were here and also as you now move forward into the university level? I feel like I'll never sit in a class the same way now that I've been an insider, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> into education. Um, yeah, I think I pay more attention now to how a class is taught um, than I used to. And so in addition to paying attention to the curriculum, I feel like I'm more connected to the way the teacher conducts lessons and how I'm studying. I also have a lot of people ask me about the CTTL from like my resume or from personal experience I've talked about. Other people are fascinated by it too, and they always ask me what it is, what we did, and I enjoy telling them about the studies we conducted. Right. You know, I, I, I graduated college in the 90s, right? So I remember some awesome lecturers at Dickinson College. But is the pedagogy different at, at, at the university level? Just because, you know, you generally meet everybody three days a week, I'm assuming. And, you know, it might be a big lecture hall. You might not. Just think about the instructional strategies teachers use. Does it look a lot like St. Andrews? I was surprised to find more similarities than I thought there would be between teachers at Duke and teachers at St. Andrews, especially in my environmental science class, how the teacher would take a lot of time to lay out the format of the class at the beginning of the year right. with all the units and all the expectations and objectives. And that reminded me a lot of St. Andrews doing the thinking behind the thinking. I would say there are more similarities than I thought. The only major difference being the lecture size. And sometimes it's a little harder to hunt down professors outside of class 
just because there are so many other students in right. the class. Right. But the same sort of effort and attitude is there. Yeah. Is there anything in terms of getting yourself ready for college study? You might have done different or you might have uh, felt we could have provided you from either the research side or just the experience side before we sent you off into the wilds of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. <gasps> It's not that wild, <laughs> I get it, right? There's no, no animals running loose down there. <laughs> that is a good question. Um, I think that the timeline for a lot of writing, like essays, is much stricter in college, not just Duke. So while we were taught very well how to write essays, a lot of it comes down to the character that you've developed over four years and how much grit you're willing to put <laughs> into a late night or a late right. couple of nights. But when you're surrounded by friends who are going through the same thing, adjusting to college, then you find you're more motivated to stay up and go the extra mile with a tight timeline. And I know that in a career, you're also going to have a lot of deadlines. Writing an essay in a week will be nothing if you're in a very strict deadline career. So I feel prepared for the content of college more so than I am prepared for the timelines and deadlines of college. Right. it's also a lot of walking, and I was not prepared for that. I should have, like, trained well, how can you, over you the summer. You are a champion cross-country runner. What are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying it's more exhausting than a cross-country race. Wow. We'll have to get, so uh, clearly for Christmas or Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating, uh, you're getting new running shoes. Oh, no, no question. Right, right. Yeah. Getting you to our, our athletic center and on the treadmill clearly is our next step after this uh, podcast. I think it's a great way to end. Um, it is so... Great to have you back on campus. And more importantly, I really do want to say this. You've given us a gift. Uh, we get asked for copies of your artwork. Certainly somebody can see it, reading Think Differently and Deeply, Volume 3. And I will have to give you a foreshadow that, you know, I got to imagine if a tall British man calls you in the next couple months and says, hey, Joy, I need a, I can't speak a British accent. I need round three. I, I hope you'll consider it. Maybe we can pay you even more. Of course. Awesome. Thank you so much. But great to have you back. And uh, uh, we'll go work out and then take you to the running store. Thank you. Thanks, Joy, very much. At St. Andrews, we often end our classes with some form of exit ticket or active retrieval of information that was a focal point of the day's class. We know from mind, brain, and education research that if students don't start recalling or using their learning, they are bound to forget it. So in that research-informed spirit, here is your exit ticket for today's podcast. In what ways have you used the arts to express your understanding of an idea or subject? Tweet your response to at the CTTL. We look forward to seeing what you come up with. The Think Differently and Deeply podcast is a production of the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Potomac, Maryland, where the mission is to know and inspire each child in an inclusive community dedicated to exceptional teaching, learning, and service. Each podcast is produced by Kirsten Peterson and mixed by Jordan Yance. Jordan also composed our theme music, which we lovingly call The Growth Mindset. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and more. And while you're there, leave us a review. This act of reflection will embed what you've learned from this podcast into your long-term memory.